0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the 291st edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast that's right getting over is back once again and it is Thursday so you know what that means we are here to talk all things AEW and NXT and as I said off the top of the show this is episode 291 which folks that means we are extremely close to episode 300 that has snuck up on me uh, with a quickness that I did not expect so look we're gonna have to try and figure out something really special We can do for episode 300. I'm going to do my best to make that happen. As you can tell, the Silver King may sound a little bit different today. That is because I am under the weather coming off of my trip. Uh, Things, we just can't get them right here right now, right? Uh, Missing co host on Tuesday, the Silver King's voice is messed up. Last week, uh, you know, not high quality audio, at least to our normal level, given I had to use a different microphone because I was on location. Uh, So look, the goal as of right now is for this upcoming Tuesday episode, the WWE episode, for everything to be back to normal. Let's hope we get there uh, with nothing, at least as far as I'm concerned, more important than my health and my voice. But I would be remiss, folks, if I began any episode of Getting Over without our reminder that this show is so be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for Getting Over on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why they should listen, why they should subscribe to this show. I did see that we got a few more five-star reviews, uh, but or ratings, I should say. But they didn't come with reviews, so I can't necessarily read them. If those pop up, I will in future episodes. Be sure to read all five-star reviews. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting. Overcast. Not only can you participate in pre and post show polls ahead of and following pay-per-views, you can talk wrestling with us all week long. We shared the latest news. I try to uh, be a little comical with, you know, gifs and and videos and things like that. And yeah, we just talk wrestling during all the major shows as well. So look, every reason in the world to follow us. So as you can tell with a messed up voice, the Silver King clearly feeling under the weather. I don't want to waste a lot of time and get into this show. We're going to talk all things AEW and NXT, my normal note here at the beginning, uh, there are timestamps in all of our episode descriptions. So if you only watch AEW or only watch NXT and just want to hear about one or the other, you can go into the description, find the timestamp and jump to that section of the show. But of course, I always hope that you listen to both because number one, I do them pretty quick. I think I run through them uh, with the quickness, kind of, as I said earlier. But secondly, I think it's important to know what's happening on the other product, on the other brand. If you only watch AEW, I still personally would want to know what happens in WWE and NXT. I think it's relevant, especially if there is a way that I can get it without watching the entire show. And I feel the same thing about if you're a WWE NXT viewer and you know you don't really watch AEW. This is a really good way, as far as I, I believe, at least. Of course, I'm the one producing the content uh, to get you caught up with what's happening there uh, pretty quickly, and that is. Certainly, the goal here, with you know as much analysis and opinion as I can give, uh, real quick before we get into AEW and NXT, I, I thought the wrestling across across both shows was notable uh, for its quality this week. AEW in particular, from uh, Dynamite to Rampage on Friday, we had that match with John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta, absolutely fantastic wrestling. There were probably f- three, four maybe even five four-star matches that AEW gave us over this past week. NXT certainly not the same in terms of star rating, at least the ones that the Silver King provides, but some really damn good wrestling on that show as well. Interesting storylines and a lot of things for us to discuss as NXT moves into its post-WrestleMania stand and deliver world. AEW certainly doing a long week of championship matches leading into the Battle of the Belt special on TNT, I believe that's Saturday night. And of course, AEW is still building towards its next pay-per-view, double or nothing. So this week we are going to start with AEW and in a true rarity for this podcast. We're going to start with Rampage, at least two items from Rampage, before we move to Dynamite. Uh so let's get to Rampage first. We had Brian Danielson against Trent Beretta. William Regal was on commentary. Exciting back and forth action in the match. Brian eventually countered Trent with a running knee. Then he added the gotch pile driver before kicking in Trent's head and winning with an interesting jaw lock type of move. Really solid and entertaining match. I personally thought it was unspectacular. Like, you guys know I love Brian Danielson. I'm going to grade any match he does, usually exceptionally high. I found this one to be run of the mill. That's just my opinion. 3.25 stars and a B. But that is just to lead into the main event of Rampage, which was John Moxley against Wheeler Yuta. In the pre-match, Yuta said, He was confident Uh, after winning the ROH Pure title. He said he was focused on earning Mox's respect. Mox said he was only focused on spilling Yuta's guts. Uh, Yuta bladed after being stomped into the steel steps early in the match. He had a full crimson mask that gushed until the final bell. Yuta splashed Mox through that random ringside table that's always there, then hit deadlift German suplexes and kicked Mox's head in. He had another splash inside for a near fall. Mox later bit the wound and caught Yuta flying with a paradigm shift for a 2.9 false finish. Yuta later put Mox in a bulldog choke, but Mox escaped, pounded his head, hit the Regal knee and another paradigm shift, and Yuta kicked out at two flat. Mox then put him to sleep in the bulldog choke for the win. After the match, Brian and Regal came down. Regal extended his hand. Yuta then wrote BCC uh, in his chest in blood, on his chest in blood, and Mox said the real work begins. So I think there's a really important distinction here that needs to be made when reviewing this match. There's a difference between a wrestler having a star-making moment and a match being great. This was absolutely a star-making moment for Wheeler Yuta, and it was extremely well done. Mox sold his ass off for this guy. But the reason this match was so hot was because there were a ton of hope spots for Yuta that popped the crowd. The last one in particular, kicking out at two flat after eating a second paradigm shift to me as a viewer was a little bit overdone and ridiculous. So I distinguish this as a five-star moment, if we graded moments, but like a 4.25 star A match. Really good, but a better moment than a wrestling match. It was a great example of a wrestling company and wrestlers, Mox in particular here, making a star in a loss. So have lost the match, but he was still made into a star. And it's something that WWE, unfortunately, fails to do, usually at all, but definitely with any consistency. And then on Dynamite, just to follow-up, Blackpool Combat Club was pumped to have a trios match against the Gun Club. That's going to happen on Rampage. So let's move over, mostly to Dynamite, a couple other Rampage elements to throw in here. On Dynamite, the main event of the show was the Ring of Honor Television Championship, Minoru Suzuki, the champion, defending against Samoa Joe, his second match in AEW slash Ring of Honor. TBS gave AEW an overrun that Tony Khan promoted for the show, saying, hey, we'll go over the 10pm hour, and this match indeed did technically go. The match in the segment went beyond the 10pm hour. They chopped each other beat red on the chest for nearly five minutes. Suzuki kept failing to hit the gotch pile driver. Joe took Suzuki off the top rope with a muscle buster and got the win in 11 minutes. You know, it's a B match, whether it's 3.5, 3.25 stars, you guys can argue about that. Great, strong style action throughout. But AEW, once again, and they can't help themselves here, they interrupted a coronation immediately with post match antics and didn't even let it breathe for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes. Right after the bell, Jay Lethal opens up a gift. Uh, like a box that has a middle finger inside of it. So he's telling him F you. Then the lights go out. And when they come back on, Satnam Singh, a seven foot three basketball player who was drafted by the Dallas Mavericks in 2015 and never played for them, appeared in the ring. He and Lethal took down Joe and Lethal hit Lethal Injection to end the show. I, I cannot stress enough how horrendous everything about this post-match was. Ruining Joe's title win on his second AEW appearance, using a lights out to reveal a complete unknown dude, putting a Ring of Honor title on the line in the main event, that was fine on its own, given the star power of Joe and Minoru Suzuki. But then running a shitty Ring of Honor angle on a promoted overrun for an AEW show after it was absolutely mind-numbing as far as I'm concerned. There was just no way that this was going to work. I don't know who came up with this idea, why they decided to do it in this spot. I mean, having Samoa Joe and Minoru Suzuki main eventing a TV show is such a big deal. Why not let Joe get the win, celebrate, and then next week while he's celebrating you do this exact same segment. You can even do it to start Dynamite next week if you want. This was just so poorly planned and even worse, it was poorly executed. On Dynamite to open the show, we had CM Punk against Penta Oscuro. The crowd was really hot before the bell. Punk took Penta off the ropes with a hurricanrana. Penta escaped the GTS. Then Punk got him in an Anaconda Vice, but he escaped that also. Punk hit a springboard clothesline and sold a knee. Penta caught his knee on a GTS. Punk then escaped the package pile driver and caught Penta in midair a bit later for a GTS and the win. Penta sold the GTS like death. It was an awesome sell. Fantastic match to open a TV show. Plenty of action. Great offense both ways. I wish Penta got a bit more offense on Punk. That would be my only minor gripe. I did go 4.25 stars and an A. If I rewatched it, maybe I'd be slightly lower, but this was really gripping and really entertaining. Penta, by the way, is now three and five in AEW singles matches on television since the start of 2020. Think about that for a second. Pentagon, like one of the, I don't want to say one of the best wrestlers in the world, but I don't know, one of the what, top 30 maybe wrestlers in the world, like an absolute juggernaut in in terms of talent and athleticism. A guy who, when he signed with AEW, along with Kenny Omega was like, wow, they got Pentagon and Kenny Omega. This guy is three three and five in singles matches on television since 2020. That is absolutely crazy to me. Uh, we had an AEW Tag Team Championship match, Jurassic Express against Red Dragon. Express missed two consecutive dives outside, but put together some really good offense with Luchasaurus doing a standing moonsault and a double choke slam. Kyle O'Reilly hit a butterfly suplex into an assisted German for a near fall. Bobby Fish hit an avalanche falcon arrow on Jungle Boy, and they jumped over Luchasaurus, who O'Reilly had in a front chancery. It was a really cool uh Really cool spot and moment right there. A Tornado DDT took Fish out and the champions won with Thoracic Express. O'Reilly attacked with a chair immediately in the post-match. So FTR came out and held up their double titles and that was it. FTR coming out and like, I don't know what they were doing. Were they offering to put their titles on the line after the heels attacked the AEW champions after losing the match clean? It just didn't make a shred of sense to me, but all right, putting that aside... The match was really well wrestled, even with a lack of tagging. A worthy title match on TV. I went four stars and A- in terms of the match. Uh, we also had MJF fight Sean Dean for the second time. MJF couldn't unzip his jacket, which by the way, he easily could have just taken off over his head. It was a ploy for an attack on Dean. 30 seconds in, camera showed security laid out backstage. MJF celebrated a move outside when Wardlow pulled off a mask to reveal himself in an AEW security shirt. Sean Spears hit him with a chair. Wardlow went to powerbomb him outside when security ran down. A few guys were knocked out uh, from being like pushed, basically, by Wardlow. He shoved them, and they never regained consciousness. Wardlow then powerbombed one of them and got overwhelmed by an influx of security after that. The referee counted to nine when MJF grabbed a microphone and begged him to stop counting, saying he would triple his AEW salary if he didn't count to 10. So, of course, the referee counted to 10. The crowd popped and Dean won again. MJF tried to attack the official but got stopped by Spears. Then Wardlow killed more security guys backstage and said he wouldn't stop until he could fight MJF or get released from his contract. MJF lost his cool backstage, saying it was in his contract that he could book Wardlow in whatever match he wants, so he decided to put him against Butcher, which I presume is going to happen next week on Dynamite. I maintain that this entire feud and storyline feels rushed. The element of MJF. Being able to book Wardlow in matches, that's a really nice touch. And I am glad that they added that and they're doing it next week. It's just this entire thing really feels like it should have been delayed for a month. Like MJF should have started winning matches, um, earning the opportunity to move up the rankings and start getting into the AEW title picture. When all of a sudden, after being blackballed from AEW, from the arena, from being in matches, suddenly Wardlow has enough. He gets frustrated at home. He shows up does the attack, and then everything else transpires as it does. I just don't understand why they didn't delay it at all, unless the only idea from Tony Khan is that Wardlow is so over right now, keeping him off TV for three weeks would cool him down. I don't think it would, but if that's the mindset, at least I would understand it. I still think it should have been delayed just a little bit. And by the way, by delaying it, guess what happens? You give time for other people on television. Uh, We also had the Jericho Appreciation Society. There was a scheduled match against against Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. So the JAS walked out of a private jet. Suddenly, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz were shown in a car talking shit while 2.0 was laid out hurt on the tarmac. I just thought this whole thing was strange. Like, if they just arrived on the private jet, how did those two guys get attacked? And it was a wide open runway. So how were they not seen pulling up in the car? Just a lot of logic fails here from start to finish. Also, the JAS entrance before Judas now includes an intro that's a direct playoff, the old WWF intro for over 25 years. You know, the dominant force in sports entertainment, whatever, they now do that ahead of Judas. Um, Could you imagine the outrage if WWE created a faction where every reference and every single thing about the faction tied into AEW? Like People would lose their freaking minds Here we have the JAS doing it constantly, now including it in their intro. And of course, anyone who raises a stink about it, you know, gets called something. Anyway, we had the match Jericho, uh, Danny Garcia, and Jake Hager against Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Santana hit three amigos and a frog splash on Garcia for a near fall. Kingston hit a big man tope suicida. Santana and Ortiz hit flying and running sentons. Jericho then hit Kingston with the bat. The referee couldn't see it. Garcia got the fall and JAS immediately attacked after the bell. A little bit of a theme here. Yes. Uh, Good, not great overall. Some nice sequences, oddly paced at times. It seems like this may may be heading for like blood and guts. The faces are going to need to add two more partners in order to make that happen. Not exactly sure who that would be, but this was totally fine. You know, I don't know, 3.25 stars in a B, just really entertaining. Uh, On Dynamite, Darby Allen was skateboarding through an empty street as matrimonial music played. Then he came across a skeleton outline of a coffin and said it needed to end in a coffin match, it being his feud with Andrade El Idolo." It feels like a little bit too big of a jump for me, given all that's really happened is Andrade is trying to hire him, but given also the coffin match is so tied to The Undertaker historically, I'd rather have seen them just get creative and do something more unique like a body bag match, something that Darby can claim as his own type of match and use going forward. In history, a coffin match, when you see it, it's The Undertaker. It's just every single time, this guy has the body bag, and he has another thing going for him, why not use that? On Rampage, Scorpio Sky said he got rid of the open challenge because he wanted someone to step up for the TNT title. That was like one week that he got rid of it. Sammy Guevara came out and insulted them all. Ty Conti basically called Dan Lambert a sexist piece of shit. He said her family had suffered enough embarrassment and they... Should focus on what they do in the ring, not in the bedroom. Ethan Page said Sammy isn't a pillar, but a crack in the foundation and a PR disaster. He said he prays his daughter doesn't end up like Conti. Sammy said they'd make their lives hell until he gets a title match. And if you weren't already done with this whole feud before, I hope you were after this. But then we go to Dynamite. Page talks about Sammy not getting the match he wanted. Lambert talked about Conti not getting the mixed tag team match that she wanted And then Sky said he would defend the title against Sammy at Battle of the Belts. And I I didn't exactly understand how this happened when four days earlier, or however many days earlier, they were saying he wasn't going to get a title match, and Sammy said he'd make their lives hell. But Sammy didn't make their lives hell, at least not beyond ruining the car, which again came out of nowhere, and he got the title match anyway. Whatever, I hope this awful feud ends on Saturday, one way or the other. On Rampage, Swerve Strickland fought QT Marshall. Swerve won with a heel kick to the back of the head. Ricky Starks then made a tag team challenge that we've been expecting. Swerve and Keith Lee against Starks and powerhouse Hobbs. We got that match on Dynamite. Starks got a hometown pop and the crowd chanted for Lee. The heels stood outside doing nothing for like 30 seconds. So Swerve could do this whole setup like forced moonsault off of Lee's chest. Lee did a backwards leapfrog over a Hobbs spear into Starks then threw Starks into Hobbs. The faces hit a combination rolling forearm for a near fall. Swerve went for another rolling move when Starks caught him midair with a spear, then followed with a huge destroyer-style DDT for an awesome near fall. There was a really weird assisted pounce move. The referee actually legislated a tag for a change, which was pretty cool. Taz randomly walked down. Hobbs pushed Swerve off the top rope but got run into the post. Starks then speared Lee off the middle rope and Swerve broke an uncounted fall with a 450 splash. Taz eventually tripped Lee behind the referee's back, letting Hobbs hit a spinebuster and pin Keith Lee in the middle of the ring. It was really good to see all these guys on the A show for a change, and it was an absolutely fantastic match. I went four stars, A- minus here. Given we never see Taz at ringside anymore, uh, the finish to me was pretty obvious as soon as he came down. Debuting Swerve and Lee, and already giving both of them losses to Team Taz, it's certainly a decision. Not a decision I would make, but a decision nonetheless. I do wonder if this is over, or if they somehow run this back, do two singles matches, another tag team match, not exactly sure. Very curious booking here, top to bottom. On Dynamite, Thunder Rosa was cutting a promo backstage when Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose interrupted with a cake to celebrate her short title reign. Rosa threw the cake in Nyla's face. Nyla accidentally hit Vicky and then destroyed Rosa into a road case. I think she had a line that she loves cake and violence, which the line on its own, hysterical, right? So credit to Nyla, who by the way is very funny and has a great Twitter account as well for you know injecting a funny line. But this, what I just presented to you is your AEW Women's World Championship feud. And it's the first feud for Thunder Rosa after going ahead and finally winning the title off Rip Baker. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. It's just really not working. On Dynamite, Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter was made for the first round of the Owen tournament. Given the entire field for the tournament isn't set yet, I thought it was really weird to purposely schedule a first round match. Also, Storm Hater feels like it should be a second or third round match. Like this That's a huge fight. I don't know why you would just get rid of it in the first round of the tournament, that does not make a sense at all to me. Hater cut a promo, Storm walked away. On Rampage, Red Velvet fought Willow Nightingale. Velvet hit a basement corkscrew kick for the win. On Dynamite, Marina Shafir fought Sky Blue. Red Velvet and Kiara Hogan were with the baddies in the crowd for some reason. Shafir did a really weird role in a triangle-style submission. The crowd was absolutely dead for this match, and for good reason, too, because it was a random, crappy match with no build in the middle of a dynamite with a super strong card that surrounded it. So AEW went all the way to build this awesome wrestling card. I should say awesome men's wrestling card. And then just threw in a really shitty women's match that and gay fans no reason to want to see it, stay for it, you know, do anything except for go to the bathroom during it. Very typical treatment of AEW women as secondary and unimportant. It may actually have been The worst televised match of the year for any brand. And that includes Vince McMahon versus Pat McAfee. Jade Cargill didn't take Shafir seriously while watching, so they didn't even sell that she's a real opponent for her. This whole thing absolutely sucked. And it's just a paradigm of the women's booking in AEW over the last few months. Absolutely dreadful, dreadful stuff. Zero point zero. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of piss-tivity. And then, lastly, on Rampage, Hook was in the locker room when suddenly a woman interviewer I've never seen before. I'm not saying she hasn't existed before. I've never seen her. Uh, asked him questions. He ate chips, walked away, and refused to be cursed by Danhausen. Tony Nice asked the same interviewer why he didn't get more respect. Mark Sterling came up and gave him his card. Yeah, suddenly Nice is going to be exciting because Mark Sterling is his agent. On Dynamite, Hook got confronted by both of them. And then Danhausen appeared in workout gear. And I think we're getting Hook versus Nice next week on Dynamite. This just it was not good, folks. Um, I don't I don't know exactly what they're doing. I'm not sure why they're I guess they're using Nice as enhancement, like to help Hook get over and giving him a good dynamite match. That's fine, but it just kind of feels forced. The Danhausen bit being worked into the entire thing feels terribly forced. Why isn't this guy with best friends anymore? Why is he focused on Hook? Uh, who is Danhausen and what's he about? We still don't know. It has not been explained to us on television. Sorry, it's a zero for me. Zero. So with AEW in the books, let's go ahead and move over to NXT, where again, there were multiple title matches on the show, just like AEW and a mix of some really good wrestling, right? Uh, not the same level of quality, but really good wrestling with some really questionable booking uh, and storyline decisions. And we're going to get into all of that right now. So we'll start with the North American Championship, Cameron Grimes against Solo Sokoa. This opened the show and it really started slow until Grimes said he respected Sokoa, but the bloodline could kiss his ass. They talked about bloodline in day ones on commentary numerous times in the match, but never actually mentioned Roman Reigns or the Usos. It's so strange the way NXT kind of makes references to family and things like that, but doesn't actually... Reference them, like for real, like address them directly. I don't understand why they do it. And they try to t- act like NXT is in some alternate universe on occasion, especially when you have raw talent showing up on NXT and vice versa. I just, I don't get it. Uh, Solo nailed his dad's running backside move into the corner for a near fall. Then Grimes had a messy running Spanish crossbody for one of his own. My guess is Sokoa just couldn't do the flip the same as the others. Solo countered the cave in directly into a Samoan drop for a 2.99 false finish. The crowd was on fire. Grimes stopped the Uso Splash when Trick Williams ran in to pull Sokoa's leg with the referee distracted. Sokoa then hit the Uso Splash outside into Trick, and Grimes caught him coming back in the ring with Kaven for the victory in 13 minutes. Carmelo Hayes then attacked Grimes after the bell, and a future tag team match was made obvious here. Uh, This was just such a classic, unnecessary WWE finish. I get they wanted to do the storyline, but why don't you just let Grimes defend his newly won title clean against a guy who can easily take a loss? What is the harm in doing that? Solo would not have been hurt and Grimes could still have been attacked after the match. The finish downgraded the match to 3.75 stars and a B B+, but it was a really hot start to the show. Uh, there was a tag team gauntlet for the vacant NXT Tag Team Championships. This was the main event. Uh, Grayson Waller said they should be handed the titles and his strategy was to let Sanga do all the work while he stood on the apron. His arm was still in a sling. The Creed Brothers also called out pretty deadly, saying they'd take them out and win the titles. Deadly called the Creed's meatheads and said they'd make history by winning the tag team titles in their first ever match in NXT, in the US side, obviously. Uh, Santos Escobar gave Legado del Fantasma a pep talk backstage. Tony D'Angelo visited to say he regretted their interaction last week. He tried to pay off Escobar. Uh, Escobar put the money back in his pocket, saying respect was worth more than that. Nice little segment. I kind of enjoyed that. And then Briggs and Jensen also got hyped up backstage with Fallon Henley. So getting into the match... The Creeds and Legato started, so I immediately knew Legato wouldn't win. Truthfully, they have deserved a tag team title run for over a year, and if they're not going to get one, they should be up in the main roster at this point with Escobar. Like, they're all ready. Just call them up. Legato bumped their asses off, taking power bombs and suplexes. Julius hit an Olympic slam. Brutus hit an assisted spinebuster, and then Julius leveled Wild with his basement lariat to advance. Also a side note here, Raul Mendoza has apparently changed his ring name to Cruz del Toro, uh, so yeah, uh, I don't I don't know why uh, I don't hate the name actually I think it's a pretty badass name for a luchador, but I'm not exactly sure why the name change was necessary. Uh, you know, Raúl Mendoza is his real name, so that potentially could be why. But unless they're getting called up, you know, I don't exactly get why they needed to do it. Uh, the Creeds fought Briggs and Jensen next. Brutus ate a massive double power bomb through an announce table. Julius got doubled with Briggs and Jensen totally botching an assisted high-risk move before Brutus broke the fall. The referee allowed an illegal tag for Brutus, who hit a basement clothesline, to advance. As you can tell, a couple messy spots there I did not like. Briggs and Jensen being in this match was mind-numbing to me. I get that NXT wants to push them. Why are they in this match and not Grizzled Young Veterans? Why are they in this match and maybe not Jacket Time? Like, there's so many other teams that could have been here besides them. It was just such a waste. Uh, So the Creed's moved on to Waller and Sanga. Waller gave shots and then pulled off his sling. Brutus hit Sanga with an impressive single leg suplex. Then Julius hit him with a dump suplex and basement clothesline to advance. Malcolm Bivens almost made me choke on water. I was drinking it after the finish of the match when he taunted Waller with a between the legs dance at ringside. The guy is endlessly funny. Uh, The Creed's lastly fought pretty deadly. This was the final match of the gauntlet. The heels attacked immediately and absolutely dominated. Vic Joseph did a great job selling the creeds and explaining how exhausted they were after being through this entire gauntlet match, and especially given all the punishment they took. Julius got run into the steps outside. Brutus ate an assisted Gutbuster for a near fall. He got a hope spot with an inside cradle, but Deadly hit a push code breaker for another near fall. Brutus went for the basement clothesline, but ate a boot as Deadly hit a heart attack style neck breaker called Spilt Milk to become the champions in their first ever. NXT United States match. This was extremely well-booked for a gauntlet match overall. The first and last segments ruled. The Creeds were built extremely strong, and they were given an excuse loss. Deadly was put over huge in their debut. It also allows their new feud to continue with additional stakes. Now the Creeds don't just want revenge for the vandalism, they also want revenge because they have the NXT Tag Team Championships. As I said, it was strange that certain teams were not involved, but I guess that's a little bit of a nitpick. I went 4.25 stars and A for the entire gauntlet as NXT opened and closed with bangers. And for those of you who do not watch NXT UK, it's great that you're getting a glimpse of Pretty Deadly. These guys are what Brizango always could have been. They're gonna be a great fit in NXT and ultimately the main roster. This is the type of team where I don't think it's gonna be any question that they're gonna get called up and have success in WWE proper. And as far as the Creeds, they are incredible. It's one thing for a singles wrestler to be a quick study. These are two beastly Kurt Angle's just wrecking shit, operating at a pace I have never seen before from guys their size with their level of skill, despite being inexperienced. They cannot be rushed. They should get a long title reign in NXT eventually. What's interesting is that Julius is the more accomplished one, that you would presume WWE wants to push harder. But Brutus is actually the one of the pair, to me, who stands out the most. As a team, they're just fantastic. If you were going to conceptualize a modern-day Steiner brothers, the Creed brothers are exactly that. It is absolutely awesome. Braun Breaker said Rick Steiner was home resting, but Joe Gacy's message was received. Gacy showed up on screen with a bonfire instead of facing Braun. Gacy said Rick took a beating like a man and dropped his Hall of Fame ring into a fire. Braun stormed out of the arena and drove off during commercial break. Gacy later said Braun can't carry NXT because he's too emotional and easy to manipulate. Gacy said he could control Braun's every move. Then he removed the Hall of Fame ring that somehow didn't melt and slid it directly onto his finger, enjoying the pain. This was a really rough follow-up from last week. Gacy's second promo provided many of the answers I had coming out of the first promo, so... I'm going to give this one more week to either sell me or not sell me, but I don't really love the direction this is going. Toxic Attraction bragged about having all the gold as Mandy Rose said Dakota Kai didn't have a shot at taking her title. She said they are the measuring stick for the whole division in every way. So we got a women's championship match, Mandy Rose against Dakota Kai. There were pinning combinations and a huge splash outside on all of Toxic Attraction early. Mandy did do a cool inverted spine buster, then later a regular one for a couple of near falls. But then Mandy really botched the chiropractor. The whole match was messy. They had negative chemistry together. Gigi Dolan distracted the referee. JC Jane got booted off the ring apron and Kai ate a boot for Mandy for the title retention in 11 minutes. Wendy Chu then appeared with two huge water guns and sprayed the heels before running off. I don't even have a grade. It was just a really rough match. Given the finish here was identical to the North American title match, it's even more reason for the NA match to have ended clean, or at least ended differently. This one involving a group makes more sense to have a distraction finish. Anyway, another crushing loss for Dakota Kai fans. Rooting for her is just experiencing a heartbreaker after a heartbreaker. No singles title reigns, two women's tag team title reigns for a grand total of, I don't know, 73 hours, and still in NXT and not on the main roster, even though she should already have been up on the main roster six months to a year ago. Please just call her up. One last thing. I have to believe that this Mandy Rose title reign is the worst in NXT history for the women's championship. Now, that's obviously not too surprising given how many talented women's wrestlers were in this position before Mandy, but it's such a notable weak point of the show when there are so many talented women on the brand, yet it is Mandy Rose dominating with the championship. Speaking of the women, Cora Jade cut a promo about making her parents proud and coming really close to winning the title. She said... She doesn't want, but needs to be champion. Jade said, it's not just some promo about redirecting her focus because the goal is the same. Her goal is to be champion. She called out a lot of her idols, including AJ Lee, which I thought was really cool. When suddenly Natalia's music hit, Natty got a huge ovation and even got holy shit chants from the crowd. Jade totally marked out for her. Natty said she loved her passion and then started legitimately crying, saying that Korra is the future of NXT. But the future is bleak. Natty slapped the shit out of her and locked in the sharpshooter. This was great stuff all around. Cora is still super green on the mic, but she did a pretty good job setting the stage, given her character was supposed to be nervous and marking out anyway. And Natty obviously knocked it out of the park. This is one of those feuds where I would book Natty to win and give her the respect, her being Cora, instead of Cora Jade beating Natalia, which just should not happen. There's really no harm in taking in having Cora Jade take a loss. And it's probably unnecessary to have her win to get Korra more over. But as a moment, this was really good. You know, Natalia does a lot of like the cartoonish type of expressions and selling when it comes to heel turns and things like that. But the campiness of this entire thing, it actually, for me, worked because Korra was such a fan and because she was marking out to the degree that she marked out. Natty later walked through about 20 women who were hanging out in the NXT kitchen. Uh, Seriously, they were. It was so random, and I have no idea why they put them in a kitchen and not the locker room. But everyone stared at her and whispered under their breath until Tatum Paxley stepped up and said she wanted a shot to prove herself because no one else would give her one. Natty agreed. Uh, Aside from the location, it was continued great usage of Natty. I know many WWE fans are tired of her, but... Getting her down in NXT for a month, maybe two months, it feels fresh, and to me, on this episode, it was already paying off. Now, before the tag team gauntlet match, Indy Hartwell and Persia Prada continued their arguing and one-upsmanship, then they came up with the idea, why are we arguing with each other, we're good friends, our guys should team up together. They both said no, and then reluctantly agreed. And I just couldn't help but think, shouldn't the women be concerned about going after their own tag team championship? Instead of worrying about Dexter Loomis and Duke Hudson going after the men's tag team championship, like, I didn't ever consider the guys teaming up given the depth of the NXT tag team division, but I guess it could be interesting, at least more interesting than the bullshit that we've gotten with these four over the last six weeks. So maybe it heads in a positive direction from here, but to this point, you guys know I've been very, very bearish on the entire thing. Uh, Von Wagner fought Ikemin Jiro. Wagner attacked time backstage, and powerbombed Kushida into oblivion. They were supposed to have a match, but Robert Stone cut a promo saying we would never see them again. Giro ran down anyway. He was injured. He took a shot and demanded a match. Wagner dominated, but Giro hit a senton bomb. Stone distracted, giving Wagner an opening for a big boot and that fireman's carry neckbreaker he does for the win in two minutes and 15 seconds. Wagner again got distracted by Sophia Cromwell, who pointed to Giro. So Wagner picked him up and threw him out of the ring into 10 dudes who were planted in the front row. The Cromwell stuff, I guess it's intriguing, but it feels like Stone is just always competing with someone else to be the manager for a wrestler or a group. It's the same old shit with Wagner every week. He remains unimpressive, and I'm just not buying what they're selling with him. Uh, Nakia Lyon sat down for an interview saying she didn't need to prove herself to Lash Legend, but WWE fans she was happy to prove herself to. Legend booted her ass and demanded to be interviewed next time. This felt like a storyline that probably should have been over after one match, but to be fair, that one match did over-deliver, so I don't necessarily hate them running it back. Also, the quick video, the, the camera angle of Legend booting Lions off of her chair, it is hysterical. So go try to find that uh, on Twitter. It's very, very funny. And lastly here, Zion Quinn fought Draco Anthony. Zion absolutely dominated. He had a rolling Death Valley driver and three running forearms for the win. I didn't have a problem with them making him look like a monster because... This guy does seem to be the total package, but it was a waste of a match on this show when the time could have gone to something else. Also, given the running forearm is the finisher, I don't exactly know why he needed to hit three to beat a guy who at this point is an enhancement talent and basically a jobber on NXT. So just the whole booking and pacing of this match, I thought it was really strange. And that is really it uh, for NXT. They've definitely developed some new storylines, some interesting stuff for us to kind of keep in mind when we tune in next week. At the same time, A lot of it fell flat. There's no clear number one contender for the women's championship. The number one contender for the men's championship, Joe Gacy, it kind of feels like it's been thrown together. And the number one contender for the North American championship is the last champion who really should have moved on after having a nice championship reign. So, you know, am I loving everything they're doing? I don't want to say yes. But at the same time, over the last six weeks or so, NXT is, it's really taken steps forward. It's improved. In a pretty significant way. So I am interested to see what is going to be happening in NXT going forward. Given I am so under the weather, let's call it for this AEW and NXT edition of Getting Over. As I said earlier in the show, we will be back on Tuesday for our next WWE episode talking all things SmackDown and Raw. Vintage Chris Manini will be back joining me for that show. And of course, one week from today, same bat time, same bat channel, we will have our next AEW and NXT episode on that show, we will talk about Battle of the Belts in addition to Dynamite and Rampage. Thank you all for listening once again. Do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts on Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple, also leave a review, let people know how much you love the show and why they should listen. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Overcast. That is it for today. The Silver King is now going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.